Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with my mermaid, Meg. I just found money in my pocket. Sorry, guys. Money Uh, mermaid, Meg. Money mermaid, Meg. And she is going to tell us all about Russell Williams. And if you're listening to this and you would like to start your own podcast on an easy-to-use platform, as you know, we are sponsored by Zencaster. So please head over to Zencaster.com slash pricing. Use promo code Gruesome with a capital G or click on the link in our show notes and get 30% off your first three months. Yay! Okay, I'm going to get into this right away because it's a little bit of a long one, but... This one is nasty. Like, it's just like a big nasty trigger warning. It's sex crimes, it's murder, it's rape, it's abduction. It's all kinds of just like terrible, terrible things. So if you're feeling queasy today, maybe maybe go back to another episode. (laughs) Or let's get into it, okay? On October 1st, 2009, a public safety concern was released by the Ontario Provincial Police. The police were investigating two break-ins. On September 17th and September 30th, 2009, in the early hours of the morning, an unknown male entered Tweed residences. During both incidents, an unknown male struck a female victim, tied her up, and took photos of her. The suspect fled the scene. And the police just wanted to remind everyone, lock your windows, lock your doors, report any suspicious activity to the police immediately. Some pretty crucial information was left out in this public service announcement, which is understandable because, like, police don't always share all the details when they're investigating unsolved crimes. But these women had not just been hit and tied to a chair and photographed. They had had their clothes taken off. They had been photographed for several hours. And these houses were close. They were like a mile away from each other on the outskirts of town. Two weeks apart, but the houses were right next to each other. They were on adjacent roads that were connected by just a footpath. And Tweed is a pretty small town in Canada. Everybody heard about it anyways. And everybody was wondering like, Who is this person? Why didn't they release a public service announcement after the first one happened? Why did they wait until the second one? Yeah, that's what I would wonder. Yeah, why did they not tell us about it immediately? The first attack was against an unnamed mother in her early 20s. She and her baby, who was only a few weeks old, were sleeping in their new home. The woman's husband was a truck driver. He was away for work at the time. And because this was a small town, the police didn't initially fully believe this woman's story. That's bullshit. I know. She had been asleep in a tank top and pajama pants. And when she was awoken by what she thought was a dream, she saw a man in a sweatshirt, dark pants and a hat standing over her. When she realized this is real, she attempted to fight this guy and she pulled on his sweater. She broke a necklace he had on. But the man overpowered her, and for 30 minutes, he used the weight of his body to keep her subdued. He explained that he wasn't going to kill her or hurt her baby. And based on his tone, the woman told him he didn't really seem like the type of person who would do something like this. It seemed he seemed very gentle or spoke to her much more gently than a normal 
criminal might or what we might think a normal criminal might talk yeah. to someone. Like an abrasive, like. Yeah, he wasn't abrasive. He blindfolded her with a pillowcase before removing her clothes, tying her hands behind her back, and then taking photos of her and watching her for two hours. The man didn't uh. touch her baby. The baby slept through the whole thing. When he was done, he told her that he was going to leave, but she needed to count to 300. When she stopped at 200 and heard nothing after she called out, she took off her blindfold. He left zero physical evidence behind. The woman never even saw his face, but she later learned that he had stolen her bras and underwear. He had stripped the sheet from her bed. He'd taken her shirt and one of her baby's blankets. The police suggested that maybe it had been the woman's husband. Maybe it, maybe it hadn't even happened, and she was making it up. Then it happened again two weeks later. That woman went to stay with friends, her and the baby, while her husband was out of town. But less than 24 hours later, that man returned and stole 15 more pieces of her underwear. Oh, my God. He came back again after that as well. Sometimes he entered the home and stole even more. And sometimes he just watched from outside. Another mother, 46-year-old Lori, had been watching TV on the couch when she fell asleep. She woke up to the blanket that she had been covered with over her head. And she was being repeatedly clubbed. Clubbed? That's clubbed. Yeah, clubbed in the head. A man's voice warned her not to look at him. It sounded like he was making his voice maybe deeper. He told her that his associates were robbing her, but she was his. He used sliced fabric strips and blindfolded her, tied her wrists behind her, and then removed her clothes. She mentioned to this man that her head hurt from being hit in it repeatedly, and he went and got two aspirin for her from her bathroom. He patted her on the head and apologized. He took photos of her for three hours from different angles, forcing her into different poses, and during this obscene photo shoot, he just made small talk, called her by her first name. He briefly tried to touch her, and when Lori protested, he stopped. When she heard a bag zip, she believed that he had taken out a gun and was preparing to murder her. But he didn't. He reassured her that it was a camera, and he had to leave by 4.30 a.m., which he did. Lori called the police around 5 a.m. when she was finally able to free herself. And within the hour, detectives, forensics, and a canine unit were all there investigating the area. Again, small town news. Travels fast. Lori's daughters found out about this attack before she could even tell them because people were texting about it. And they got texts from their friends at school. And these horrifying break-ins were the next level of what had already been happening in Tweed and surrounding areas for two years. Over the course of two years, there were 45 burglaries at residences where no one was home. Many of the homes were repeat targets. One of the houses had been hit like nine times. Normally, a lock was picked. They walked in through an unlocked door, maybe slid in through an unlocked window. Police had only even been notified in one of them, and they weren't told what was stolen. They didn't know what they were, they were stealing. But what was being stolen was women's underwear. Bras, bathing suits, robes, shoes. A few weeks after the second attack on October 24th, another lingerie burglary occurred. In Orleans, a suburb outside of Ottawa, it was about 125 miles away from Tweed, similar burglaries were also taking place. 
at the same time. So we have two strings of burglaries. On October 29th, 2009, Larry Jones, a 65-year-old lifelong Twee resident, grandfather, husband of 40 years, was taken in for questioning. And when he called his wife Bonnie to tell her that he was a suspect in the sexual assaults that had just taken place near their home, she didn't believe him. She was like, no, what? That's insane. And the police questioned him for hours. They told Larry that they knew all about him. They got a tip about him. They asked if he had been molested and abused when he was a child. They asked how he broke into the homes of women. They asked him, if you were a person who broke into Lori's house on September 30th, and if you tied her up and sexually assaulted her, if you were, would you be guilty? Which is a pretty tricksy question. But Larry Jones was a man who knew he was innocent, and he maintained that, so good for him. He just set, kept saying, no, because I wasn't there. They continued his interrogation, saying that they had found pornography in his home, which it was a penthouse from like 1981. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. And then they said that he was an abusive spouse because he and his wife had gotten into it a couple of years before and like the police had been called out, but they had both apologized and moved on. The search warrants, the police had stated that they were looking for computer digital storage devices, women's underwear, including a black and purple La Senza brassiere and thong underwear with the logo of a poodle, two baby blankets, pornographic photos and videos, a pair of white shoes. And they found none of that. Oh, maybe because he didn't do it. Yeah, so weird, right? He did learn why they were so interested in him, though. In addition to the many jobs that Jones had around town, he was also a kind of a handyman, just did whatever came up. A few years before, he'd actually been at Lori's house to look at some tile work that she had had done. And they'd occasionally talk after that. They were acquaintances. After she was assaulted, she had called police to tell them that though she never saw her attacker's face, she thought that maybe it had been his voice, the voice of Jones. Now, Lori said that she was confused, and she's like undoubtedly traumatized by this oh, horrific yeah, thing that happened. Totally fair. But there was no clear or convincing evidence that Larry Jones was guilty of anything. Larry Jones had a next-door neighbor named Russell Williams. He had barely been checked out after these attacks. He lived in the same area. But an officer told Jones that after finding out Russell Williams was the commander of the Canadian Forces base in Trenton, that they probably didn't even need to look at him. Larry knew Russell only as an acquaintance also. They rarely spoke. But one morning, the same month as the break-ins involving the women who were tied up, Russell had meandered over to Jones as he was leaving to go hunting and asked where his hunting camp was. Larry told him it was about six miles away. He explained how to get there. Larry never really gave it a second thought. Even after a friend told him that he had seen Williams on the lonely gravel road that led out to his camp. And things were quietish in Tweed for a little while, but just south in Belleville, there was a mid-November burglary. An arts teacher, whose husband was away, found that some of her underwear and a few of her sex toys had been taken. It happened again to the same woman in less than 24 hours. 116 pieces this time. Jesus. This arts teacher, she taught music lessons at the Trenton Canadian Forces Base. And whoever had done it left an eerie message on her computer as a screensaver 
said, go ahead, call the police. I want to show the judge your really big dildos. Implying that they had actually been in the house while she was home the previous evening debating whether to even call the police. The woman, after checking in her linen cupboard, realized that a lot of the items in there had been turned upside down, and it was big enough to fit people inside. So she believed that that person had been hiding in her linen closet while, and then had done that to her computer when she left. She did report it, but they didn't really link it to the attacks in Tweed. In fact, when she asked the police if it might be linked to the attacks that she'd read about happening, her, the officer said, why? What's going on in Tweed? Oh, God. I don't know. Maybe you should check that out, sir. David Russell Williams was born on March 7th, 1963, in Worcestershire, England. He was five when he moved to Canada with his English parents and a younger brother in 1968. His father was a nuclear metallurgist, like a metal scientist. He's described as stubborn an authoritarian with a sharp temper. His mother was a conservative woman and a physical therapist who was constantly being put down by her husband until she filed for divorce the year after they moved to Canada. She married again four months later and changed her name from Christine to her middle name, Noni. It's rumored that Russell maybe blamed his mom, and though he lived with her growing up, he remained close with his dad, and they didn't really talk as an adult. His family moved frequently. The longest stay they had in one home was like four years. For their stepfather, work came first. Their mother was very involved in clubs and events. Other than maybe like distant or controlling parents and the frequent moving, his childhood was not that unusual, especially for like the late 60s, early 70s. Your parents were less involved in their kids' lives mm -hmm. anyways. Yeah. As a teen, he had a paper route. He was on time, organized. He was a quick learner. He excelled at piano and trumpet. He was very into working out, like jogging and running. Russell and his brother were close. They were well-behaved boys. In 1979, his stepfather got a job in South Korea and the family moved again. They stayed there for a year before they were sent back to a boarding school in Toronto in 1980. What remained consistent when people talked about Russell Williams is that he is not an extrovert. He was a watcher. He didn't have pretty much any close friends, maybe like one. He didn't talk much. In 1982, he started at the University of Toronto, studied pol politics and economics. An old college roommate recalled that he was friendly, cheerful enough, had a good sense of humor. At no time was there ever any suggestion that this is someone who would leave a double life or even have strange proclivities or tendencies. Another quote from a former friend, Russ always had a very strong sense of right and wrong. Around 1986, he had one serious relationship that ended with him getting dumped. He tried to like bump into her and send her flowers and she asked his friends to tell him to leave her alone, essentially. He graduated that same year and a movie that influenced his next move also came out in 1986, Top Gun. He was obsessed. He joined the Air Force to become a pilot. In 1987, he was off to basic training, and by 1990, he had earned his wings. And because this guy is such a piece of work, I'm going to give you the rundown of his military career without the highlights because they don't really matter. doesn't deserve the glory. 
So he's a captain by 91, a major by 99, a lieutenant colonel in 2004, and in 2009, he became the commander of the Trenton Canadian Force Base. So he ran the whole base, pretty much. During his time in the Canadian military, Williams was described as an elite pilot, a shining bright star of the military. He had flown Queen Elizabeth II, the Duke of Edinburgh, the Governor General of Canada, the Prime Minister of Canada, tons of other dignitaries. So, like, he was pretty high up there. This is also the most important base in Canada. So we're going to rewind a little bit before we go even deeper. And you should also know that Russell Williams is married. On June 1st, 91, he married Mary Elizabeth Harriman, a woman who is a few years older than him. She has a master's in nutrition. She's the director of research and partnerships for the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada. And the couple moved to Orleans, a town that I mentioned a little bit earlier when I said that they were having a very weird string of crimes involving burglaries of women's underwear. In July 2006, they moved there and their, their neighbors said that they were fine. They were very private. So to be clear, from September 2007 to September 2009, Russell Williams was breaking into the homes of various women and stealing their undergarments. When he escalated to attacking women in their home and sexually assaulting them, he attempted to frame his neighbor at he and his wife's weekend home, which was a lake cottage in Tweed. The tip that the police had been given had come from Russell Williams. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Williams' very first break-in took place late September 8th and early September 9th in 2007. He photographed all of his break-ins. A family that, it is very weird. A family that lived near Russell and his wife. They had dinners together, just like normal kind of neighborly things. They had a 12-year-old daughter. And while the family was away, Russell snuck into her room, went through her underwear drawer, and posed for photos wearing her clothing and ejaculating into them. Ah, oh, gross. Jesus Christ, that's gross. It's so gross. Like, this whole thing is gross just mentally prepare for the disgustingness because this guy is like ugh, like the stankiest fart of a human he took six pairs of her underwear with him three weeks later after midnight september 28th he returned back to that house and took 22 pairs took more photos in the girl's room he posed outside in the woods naked except for the girl's underwear that he was wearing and took photos of himself Overall, in those two years, he pretty much repeated this exact same M.O. in various houses 82 times. Jesus! In 48 different homes in Tweed and 34 different homes in Orleans. 13 of the rooms that he targeted were girls under the age of 18. That's gross. Pretty much every homeowner that he had done this to realized it after he was arrested. They didn't report it because only one of these ever got reported yeah i remember you saying that yeah so and we're gonna get to that in a minute how that happened but he stole and cataloged 1400 pieces of underwear and personal items and cataloged and if you're like and cataloged them what he had thousands of photos and letters and journals and logs detailing Every single thing he did, all concealed in computer files and 
hard drives, just whatever he could keep it in. And he kept them all at his house that he lived in with his wife. I would die. Die. Yes. Die. Like, die. If that, I have no words. So I kind of want to talk about that in a little bit because there is so much of it. We'll get to it. But the only time he came close to being caught, he was in the bedroom of a homeowner with twin 11-year-old daughters. And that homeowner was Larry Jones's adult daughter. And those twins were his granddaughters. He ran into the woods after they saw him in the house. But because they didn't know if anything had been stolen, they didn't report it until a week later when they heard about an unrelated break-in. And I think it's I think it's easy to not realize that some of that stuff is missing. Like maybe you look around. Yeah. Wait, what I would have no idea. I would have no idea. No, absolutely. Like actually, if they took like 40 pairs of my underwear, I'd be like, I have no underwear. <laughs> I'd be like, I need to go shopping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are some of my underwear? Like, I need to do some laundry. That's what I would think too. So if I know that's what I'd be like, wait a second, how long has it been? <laughs> so if you're thinking like how are these people not realizing their underwear is missing like maybe if it was my very favorite pair and I hadn't seen them in like six months I'd be like where did those go but I wouldn't know and same thing like with my kids I have no idea like oh I'm absolutely not. my daughter's room right now and she has I mean because she's a young girl so she like she has tons of chonies and I'd just be like what it I wouldn't even know nope I wouldn't either I'd just be like no oh. Yeah, they're, they're probably in the laundry again. But Williams got progressively bolder, more bold with his break-ins. Um, he began leaving messages for homeowners. The computer screen I mentioned before, he left a trail of conspicuously placed leaves leading into one home. In another, he masturbated onto a photograph of the woman whose underwear he had stolen and then left it in the home for her to find. What a dumbass. So not only, he's like leaving DNA places. Yeah. He got more reckless. He started breaking locks instead of picking them. He left footprints in the snow outside of windows. He left evidence. But because he was getting away with it for so long and people weren't reporting like these little break-ins, we talk about this all the time. He felt like he couldn't get caught. He felt yeah. invisible. He got brave. He's like, and cocky. Yeah. So what do they do? They escalate. And that is when we see him start breaking into these houses, tying them up. And if you're like, wow, it is only a matter of time before this guy murders someone. Absolutely. That was what I was going to say. Well, he's going to murder someone. You're right. He is. And that would be Corporal Marie France Como, who was 37. She was a career military woman. And to everyone that worked with her, she was the friendliest person they knew. She was always smiling, rarely complained at her job. She worked on VIP flights that traveled with the prime minister and other dignitaries in Canada. She had a loving partner and was a devoted stepmother. She did work with Russell Williams. He had seen her. They had had dinner at the same table before they knew of each other. Maybe not knew each other, but he definitely knew of her. On November 16th, 2009, Russell Williams drove his Nissan Pathfinder to Marie's home. She was on a mission with the prime minister in Singapore, Japan, and India at the time. 
Williams was the base commander, so he had access to her schedule, to her address, to all of her details. And oh, because- he's still active duty at this point. Yeah, he's working and doing this in the like at night, essentially. What else kind of time does he have? It's insane. Well, they he and his wife have no children. They chose not to have children. His wife is very busy. He she did mention to people that like he liked to go do late night runs because he was very like into fitness but didn't have time during the day. So again, I don't really know. This but yes, he's absolutely working. After he parked his car several hundred feet in a wooded area away from her home. He removed a screen in her basement window and slid into the unfinished basement of her house. After finding her bedroom, he did his normal routine. He found her underwear drawer, took dozens of pornographic photos. After an hour and a half, he left through a door and replaced the screen that he had removed. So he covered his tracks. After leaving her home, this is when he stopped at the arts teacher's house from earlier so he almost never hit two houses in one night but this night he did and again just kind of showing his escalate his escalation like initially it was one house maybe he would hit the same house twice in 24 hours but now he's hitting two different houses in one night a week after breaking into her house the first time on monday november 23rd williams drove to corporal como's house parked in the same wooded area before he walked down the street to her home and waited outside while he could hear her talking on the phone inside the house. When he thought she was done on the phone, he took the screen and slid into the basement once again. This time he had a kit that had rope, duct tape, lubricant, a flashlight, and his camera. He waited quietly in the basement for her to go to bed. But Williams was caught off guard when Como came down the basement steps looking for her cat, who had seen Williams come in and was just sitting there staring at him. When Como saw the man standing in her basement, she screamed, you bastard, and attempted to fight him out of her home. Which, badass. Go, best friend. Williams clubbed her over the head with a flashlight, similar to the attack on Lori caused contusions and bleeding to her head. She attempted to escape, and he pushed her to the floor before tying her arms behind her back so tightly that the rope left burns on her wrists and arms. Mm. He wrapped her entire face in duct tape, leaving only a nose hole for her to breathe. He lifted her to her feet and tied her to a support beam in the basement. He then went around her house and secured the perimeter, He turned off lights. He covered all the windows. He broke the key off in the lock so no one could open it. When he returned, he released her from the support beam, and she again attempted to fight off her attacker. But Williams knocked her unconscious and left her lying on the staircase while he took more photos of her before carrying her up to the bedroom where he filmed himself raping and photographing Como for two hours. But still, she fought back. She told him to leave she wanted to live and each time he overpowered her ignoring her as she was begging for her life she told him to have a heart she wanted to live please don't do this but when he was finished he covered the air holes that he had left for her to breathe and watched her die with the camera still rolling he took his last photo at 4 23 a.m washed the sheets covered marie with a duvet and left her house 
Her body wasn't discovered for more than 30 hours. It uh. was Brighton's. This one happened in Brighton. It was the, the first murder that had happened in more than 30 years. And initially, they arrested her partner, but he passed their tests. He was also the one who found her. Ugh. I know. The day after that, Russell Williams went to an 8.30 a.m. meeting, completed his work day, and then went to dinner with his wife. When he was informed of Corporal Como's death because she worked with him, he simply sent a message as a reply. Understood. Thank you. In January, Jessica Lloyd, a 27-year-old Belleville resident, disappeared from her home. She didn't show up to her job as a transit planner for the student transportation services, and she was an incredibly reliable person. It sent up red flags immediately. Her mom checked on her, called police. They got there. They investigated everything. They found tire tracks on Lloyd's property on the edge of her property. And specialists were able to determine that the vehicle that had been in the area was either it could have been a Toyota 4Runner, it could have been a Jeep Cherokee, or it could have been a Nissan Pathfinder. And that's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Of these vehicles, there were 450 in the area, and police had already interviewed the owners of 178 of those when they set up a roadblock that seemingly connected all the towns that kept getting... Yeah, they're like, someone's taking this street. Yeah, someone's taking this highway through these towns. And legitimately within minutes of the roadblock being set up, a silver 2001 Nissan Pathfinder pulled up. The rules that the officers had for any vehicle matching the description of one of those vehicles was that the driver was to be questioned extensively. They got a questionnaire. The details of the vehicle would be reported and that that driver needed to be put on immediate surveillance. Like, they were not messing around. Williams did it. Uh-huh. Williams filled out the questionnaire. He gave the police a little bit of lip. He said he had a sick child to get home to. He didn't have any children. He's a liar. Imagine that. Go think. Surveillance followed him closely while search warrants were ordered on both of his homes. Police called him on February 7th and asking him, hey, would you mind coming by to tie up some loose ends about this questionnaire? And it shook him because in his home that he shared with his wife, next to his bed was a duffel bag filled with the contents from Corporal Como's murder. In his spare room, he had a box that contained more than 50 articles of clothing, had lubrication, he had pictures of Jessica Lloyd and her student ID. Other boxes in his house contained hundreds of pairs of underwear, including children's underwear. And at that moment, he was wearing the exact same boots that he had been wearing when he kidnapped Jessica Lloyd just nine days earlier on January 28th. Williams had broken into Lloyd's house while she was out with a friend getting into her home. Via an unlocked window, he made sure that she just lived alone and then he slunk back out to his Nissan Pathfinder that he had parked in a cornfield about 150 yards away from her house. Before he was able to leave, an officer actually clocked his vehicle and was like, that's weird. But that officer also knew Jessica. She just went up and knocked on the door and no one answered. She kind of looked around. Everything seemed to be in order. Jessica wasn't home, so she left. She didn't think it was... 
Yeah, like she stopped and checked. There was, I guess there was a rumor or like people were talking like she should have went and recorded the vehicle or went up to the vehicle. But the vehicle was just sitting there like she did what she knew to do, which was just like, hey. It would be different if he was outside the vehicle, like doing anything weird or there was like a commotion. No, it was just she saw kind of a different car that she had never seen parked on her property. So she just went up to make sure she was okay. And she wasn't even there. So she left. Williams went back to his Tweed home where he collected what he needed to abduct Jessica. He returned and her white Dodge Neon was parked in the driveway. He parked in the same spot. He entered her home through the patio doors around 1 a.m. on January 29th, woke her up, forced her onto her stomach, and tied her hands behind her back. And he videotaped himself raping Lloyd. At 3.20 a.m., a local man noted that same Nissan Pathfinder in the same spot and was like, wow, that's weird. That's not normally there. Small towns, man. Yeah, that's why I live in one. (laughs) At 4.30, Williams abducted Jessica. He put her into his car and took her back to his cabin where he forced her to shower with him and continued to rape her. He called in sick to work, saying that he had a stomach flu. Still, he videotaped the whole thing for the entire day. At 8.15 p.m., she was still tied up. Williams hit her over the head with his flashlight before strangling her to death after telling her that he wouldn't kill her. Oh, fucking dick. Super dick. Early the next morning, Saturday, January 30th, he flew with some troops to Southern California. They were just doing training, and then they returned that night. He worked in his office, drove to Ottawa. He saw his wife at their new house that they had just built, and he just spent the rest of the weekend at their new house. He returned to his cottage to get Lloyd's body, and he drove her to Larry Jones's hunting camp, the one he had asked him about, and left her body 40 yards from the road in his camp. But now they had called him and said, hey, can you come in? We just want to ask you some questions follow up on this interrogation and the interrogation specialist on this was amazing because he got a full confession out of russell williams literally within hours like it came out more and more over the course of a week but once he realized that like he was getting caught in his own lies and they weren't even pulling them out of them he was doing it to himself he just kept talking and talking And even when they told him to stop, his wife told him to stop, his lawyer told him to stop, he just spilled. After his, a week after his arrest, investigators reported that along with hidden keepsakes and other evidence that they found in his home, they had also matched a print from one of the homicides to his boot. Shock. In addition to the four main incidents, The investigation into Williams was, it happened with those 48 different cases of stealing women's underwear that were, they actually went all the way back to 2006. Like he said, they started in 2007, but there were more then. All of the lingerie that they found was stored, cataloged, and concealed. They, in April 2010, so a month after he was arrested, he was placed on suicide watch because he tried to kill himself by stuffing a cardboard toilet paper roll in his throat. After his conviction, which he's going to get, he was stripped of his rank of colonel in the Royal Canadian Air Force. He was stripped of his military decorations. He had the Southwest Asia Service Medal and 
Afghanistan clasp, Canadian Forces decoration with a clasp. He had a bunch. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah. But because of his very carefully cataloged crimes, on October 21st, 2010, Williams was sentenced to two life sentences for first-degree murder, two 10-year sentences for the sexual assaults, two 10-year sentences for forcible confinement, and 82 one-year sentences for breaking and entering. Oh, all, wow. All to be served concurrently. So he will never get parole because he's not eligible. Thank goodness. Yeah. But something that does make me very angry is that he still collects his pension. And he gets $60,000 a year annual military pension. And he also split. His wife left him. Good. Mm -hmm. But he owned his that cottage in Tweed. He actually owned it. And he refused to pay $8,000 in victim surcharge fines. So now he has like stuff out against him on a collection agency. But he did sell that house and take the money from that so that's really gross there was a lot of speculation about whether or not his wife had an idea about what was going on just based on the sheer amount of stuff he was very protective of her saying that he hid it very well from her his files were so heavily concealed that he had to help tech side of police find them in his computers. Lori actually sued her and they settled out of court. He sued the wife and they settled out of court. But wait, who sued the wife? The one of the victims of the attacks, like the ones where he just tied him up and photographed him and then left. Why did she sue the wife? Because she thought that she Lori settled after five years of litigation with his ex-wife. She said that it was a civil action. Details of the settlement were disclosed. In 2014, he reached an out-of-court settlement with some of his victims, but the suit by Lori, who, like, she chose to go by her name, but a lot of the victims chose to not be, like, that 20-year-old mm -hmm. mother, she didn't have her identity revealed. She just said that she would require extensive therapy and that she deserved more than what he was trying to settle for, which, yes, I agree, I agree with, that. with that. So she went after his wife as well, saying that he's Were they married at the time or were they divorced? No, no. They were married until 2014. So after he was in jail. Well, in that sense, like I can understand the like financial aspect of it, because if he's still getting his pension and they're still married, she's getting the pension. Yeah. I mean, she's probably still getting a portion of it anyways, like afterwards because they're divorced. Yeah. Depending on how long they were married. But they were married for like 23 years. I just think it's, I don't know, if she, if she truly didn't have any idea what was going on, she was a victim too. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I mean, even, if, even if she was like, even if she had an idea and like that, like something was happening, she's still a victim. I'm not saying maybe you don't know. But maybe you're finding women's underwear randomly in your house and you're like, what's happening? I don't know that the first thought in your head is like, oh, she my probably husband. thought he was having an affair. Yeah. Not or breaking. Yeah, it's not breaking into houses. Yeah. That's far fetched. Or even like, oh, he likes to get this stuff and dress up in it, you know? Yeah, I'm, I could see that being like, okay, this is his thing. I'm not going to yeah. mess with it. 
if it, you know, like in the military, sometimes it can be like, oh, you know, he's commanding a base. But and that was the thing. He had a very busy job. He could use that at any moment to say he's also potentially tied to a cold case that is still unsolved. And in August of 1987, there was a slaying of 21-year-old Margaret McWilliam. She had completed university about a year older. She wasn't living in Toronto. McWilliam was found raped and strangled to death in Warden Woods Park, and that is three miles away from Williams's old house. And his mom and stepdad still owned it at that time. He, I mean, they were both their final blow to her, just like the other two, um, Jessica and Marie, was strangulation. I don't necessarily think it was. I mean, I can see the, I can see the reasoning, like why you would think that. But if so, why would he not strangle Lori or the twenty-year-old mom? Well, yeah, I know, right? That's kind of what I was. I, I kind of like wonder he, if he like maybe did it and then got scared backwards and then was like, I'm just going to do this robbery thing and then like escalated from there. Maybe that's also right after that breakup happened. So I was like, maybe mm-hmm. he's angry then. He also went to college with the uh, the Ken half of the Ken and Barbie killer. What's his name? Paul. Mm-hmm. And there were like reports that they knew each other, but they didn't actually know each other. Oof. Yeah. Yucky. What a shitty, gross person. Yeah. And, and Lloyd, his last name was Lloyd, right? The neighbor? Larry Jones. Yeah. That poor guy. Yeah, like you're gonna, they break into like his daughter's house. Yeah, well, I mean, so Twin is a small town, so he's breaking into anyone who, he also had child pornography on his computers as well. Like, gross. he was just... Uh, he was nasty as i was reading through this i was like this this fucking guy there are pictures of him that were released from the trial of him in these underwear and it is frightening like it looks frightening and i have some saved to post but i don't know if i even really want to post them because i don't know if those are 12 year old girls underwear yeah like so i'm just like uh maybe if you want to give that a goog but ugh. i mean i'm not gonna like kink shame to the point of like if that's like you know if you, but i don't that's that's what you're doing. it had i known that every single underwear he had stolen was an adult person's underwear i'd be like yeah we can see that like this he's stealing these underwear but like knowing that he had little girls underwear that he was stealing and wearing and like masturbating into it makes it like it's gross anyways. It makes it even more, like, disturbing to me. What a... Mm, why is he smiling in this picture? He is creepy. He's so creepy. Like, in his videos of him filming and raping, he, like, looks at it. It's like Norman Bates. Like, when he's going oh, I... in the mirror with, like, the muscle arm. Like, that's... These are the vibes I got. I got big Norman Bates vibes. I just because I saw a picture he's like smiling it's like oh he even posed for a picture even posing for an arrest to help benefit local law enforcement what a god damn yeah he's so creepy Ugh, he needs his ass kicked and I hope it gets kicked every single day for real it's just weird that it was so like organized too. all of his cataloged 
that actually like makes sense with his him with his yeah and he had always been like according to this history always been really organized i um read this book should tell you about it it's called a new kind of monster secret life shocking true crimes of an officer and a murderer by timothy appleby and there it was pretty detailed there was a lot of good stuff in there so if you want some more of like the trial and just other details that are better read or understood that would be the book too check yeah what a creep so creepy right there's something about him breaking into people's houses and not only stealing their underwear, but posing for photos in those said underwear in their house. In their house. And that's what police said, too. Police were like, you can see him getting progressively, like, closer to an actual person because first he's just, like, outside their house, then he's in their house, then he's in their bed, then he's wearing their clothes, then he's, like, you know, holding people and taking pictures of them. Then he finally escalates to that point where, like, he murders someone. And he was, like, 47. It's, it definitely gives you, like, Silence of the Lamb vibes. Yeah, he is. Wild Bill. Buffalo Bill? <laughs> Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if Norman Bates' Buffalo Bill had a baby, it would be this fucking weirdo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the worst. Absolutely. So that was a fun one. But Canada, shout out to you. <laughs> yeah, Canada, man, what's up? <laughs> you guys are always asking for Canadian cases. And I was like, okay, I'll look for one. And you really gave me a doozy here. Mm, that's gross. I'm like still, I was still like looking at pictures. I know, I can't, uh, I should have found like a, a happy news to talk about <laughs> after that one. Ugh, yikes find the idea of somebody coming into my house the ultimate like i know i i know i should be more worried like oh my gosh i'm gonna get kidnapped i'm gonna get trafficked i'm gonna get murdered but that is not my biggest fear my biggest fear is someone coming into my safe personal space and just lurking around yeah like i have goosebumps right now just thinking about it i have goosebumps goosebumps too saying it that way thank you yeah, just like hanging out, like where my kids play, where like where we are, like that. Is, the invasion and the it's just ah, uh, that's the wor- I think that's the worst. Yeah, and just taking taking things that you don't even realize are taken until that's the weirdest thing. It's can you imagine weird. like finding out that this person broke into your house and then suddenly everything starts clicking for you? You're like, oh. Yeah, I remember that when that one thing was out of place or when, like, I felt like my underwear drawer was a little empty and... Or even having to call the police to be, to report that someone broke into your house and the only thing they stole were your underwear. Yeah. Yes. So in Orleans, and I don't, everyone says that different. It's spelled like or like New Orleans or New mm-hmm. Orleans. I don't know how you guys say it in Canada. Oh, someone will tell us. Yes, they will. They always do. We love you for it. But in that town, it was actually reported more than in Tweed. So because those houses were more, they were more like suburban 
they were more locked down essentially. So people noticed mm-hmm. it when people broke in. Whereas in Tweed, it was a little bit of a smaller town. People just left their doors unlocked. It wasn't a weird thing. Yeah. For that to be going on. So it was it wasn't noticed as often. If I were to come home and someone broke in and stole my daughter's chonies, I would move. Yeah. I'd be like, well, I don't think I could live in a house after that happened. No, absolutely not. No. Well, let's do an ad to make ourselves not think about this for a second. If you have started thinking about starting a podcast and we think you should, you can use Zencaster to record remotely. High quality video, high quality recording, a lot of cool features that are going to be dropping soon that we can't even tell you guys. That's how freaking cool they are. Secret. But if you join Zencaster, you'll find out. You'll be privy to know. And if you want to just try it, head to Zencaster.com slash pricing, use promo code gruesome with a capital G, and then let us know about your podcast. We'll help you. Yeah. My mom got robbed once. They broke the back window in and- At their house they live in now? Yeah, the same one. They broke the back the back door window and came in. And like now they have security cameras and stuff set up. But at the time, they just took like all the change- because they didn't have any nobody keeps like cash or stuff in their house i don't know so it like what would you break into a house to steal now like a playstation i guess uh you can't steal a tv they're all like giant that's what i think about like with our computers and stuff like that how my husband's always like make sure you lock the door do this and and like we keep everything locked down here like fort knox but I think about our computers because if you just look at a normal computer and if you are not into computers, you don't realize like how expensive they are. Like you're not going to look at it and be like, man, that computer has a $3,000 graphics card on it like, or processor, whatever. the I don't know it. I, yeah. I if somebody it. knows that, like if somebody knows that about the graphics card in your computer, they probably have one too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're probably or, looking for one. I think it's called a graphic. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't really know. I know stuff. I thought graphics cards were like small. I pictured them as like Sims cards, but they're big. They're like this big. No, they're like this. Yeah, they're huge. But when you say card, I'm like, oh, it's card size. It's small. It's like little. Nope. I was fooled. Someone would probably see some of my like decor and be like, man, that looks expensive. It's not. It's from Goodwill. Or what, like, it is expensive, and I didn't realize it. I'm like, oh, man, $3.99? Hell yeah, what a store. <laughs> like, did you see that one? Uh, that is the pink hustle, ma'am. Where that girl, she found, like, that little glass box, and she got it for $4.99 at Goodwill, and it was, like, a $2,000 little, like, French glass, like, <laughs> thing. And I was just like, what the? <laughs> They're going to come steal my plants. <laughs> plants are expensive. They are. That's what I would do. I'm going to break into your house and steal your plants. Can you water them? (laughs) I was like, they're dead right now. I have one of them that's on the mend, but my I did. I have been. I gave it like food and I talked to it and told her we can get through this. (laughs) Let's do this together. My Swiss cheese plant, though, is like sayonara, sister. I'm done. I can't reinvest. I can't thrive under these conditions. Same. I can't thrive under these conditions either. Swiss cheese plant supposed to do i have so much going on like we have today we had a soccer game tomorrow we have soccer game baseball game or i think maybe the soccer game got postponed to mother's day 
not bitter about that at all. And then we have like soccer games on Tuesday. Wednesday, my son has another practice. Thursday, we have two games. Saturday repeats. I am going to die. Today, my kid was like, am I doing T-Bowl? And I looked it up yesterday and I completely missed signups like by more than a month. But then we don't have we don't have anything that like tells us that they're happening. Like you just have to know someone or like know where to look or have looked at in like February. Like a page that they like send stuff out. They have so it's like a separate sports page, but I didn't know that it was until I went like looking for it when she asked. Oh, she bummed. Yeah, I told her that we missed signups and she was like, What? And I was looking at um I was like, well, maybe we could late sign up. So I was looking through comments and like the last person who said, asked if they could late sign up was like three weeks ago. And they were like, yeah, but do it quick because we're only doing one more order of shirts. <laughs> and I was like, whoops, I goofed that. I will just be uh, practicing in the backyard this year. <laughs> I am a first day of signups opening sign up girl. I, if I knew known about it, I would be too, but I don't know about it like they don't she doesn't get stuff from school for it you know oh yeah that's another thing i guess i forget she doesn't yeah she doesn't do like the gen pop she's not a part of the general population of schools so i don't get and they don't like my town got rid of their newspaper i don't know why but it's gone probably we have like a, a pseudo newspaper type thing i think we i don't know but our Sports are such a big deal here that if when it's like soccer signups, there's like two boards like you can't miss them when you're driving past. It's like, don't forget, last day to sign up for soccer. Like boards, like the, you know, like the boards that you stick the letters on and they're like on the side of the road telling you like there's a fair going on or something. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, we have those. And then like. Outside of the soccer fields, they have big signs. And then outside of like the baseball fields, they're like, baseball, last day to sign up. And then like we have, my husband's so involved with all that stuff. There's like no way of not knowing. But it's different because my kids are a little bit older. Yeah, that's true. I could probably have told my youngest son like, oh, hey, we missed baseball signups. He'd have been like, all right, it's fine. Maybe you should have. (laughs) You could have some breathing room. No, his best friend's on his team. So we can't do that. This may be his last year playing, though, because I think next year they switch to the kids pitching the ball, and he is not going to fly with that. That's when I quit. When I heard <laughs> like no. I was fine with the coaches throwing the ball to me, but when I found out other girls were going to be throwing it to me, I was like, oh, no way. They're definitely going to hit me with that thing. <laughs> I am done with sports forever, kind of. I did swimming, but that was it. I, was yeah, with, I forgot you did swimming. I did swimming and diving. But I was done with any sport that required people throwing things at me or aiming things at me. I was like, no, thank you. I'll pass. I think my my daughter has such an arm on her already. And I'm like, you're going to probably want to play softball. That's like, why gonna... I feel bad because, like, she's really good. Like, she can yeah. really, like, crack them out there. I was like, dang, you're terrifying. And that is why I feel bad that I missed it. Because I would like her to develop it if she wants to. And she seems to want to. It'll all work out. Next year. (laughs) Yeah, because next year's the age. She'll be the age where they really, you can see it's like seven, eight, and nine. Where like eight, between like eight and nine is where you can see it starting to click. It's like you can see 
their wheels are turning and they're like, oh, this is how I do this. She'll be coach's pitch next year, too, so it'll be better. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> like a plans. Then I'll be done with school by that time, so maybe it'll be better anyways. I really, not a good year for me. <laughs> not a good year for sports. Not a good year for me to do literally anything. I actually had that thought where I was like, damn, I'm glad I'm going to be working from home because... I don't have any time this last few weeks where we've had practice on Monday, practice on Tuesday, two practices on Thursday. And I, I've just been like, I want to die. Like I support my kids, but this is a bit excessive. Who told me to have three kids? And that's not even the youngest one yet. Who apparently is going to do ballet in the fall. Is she going to do ballet? <laughs> yeah. We have a, a little place in town that's like super adorable that she's going to. We're going to check out also because she's kind of feral and I got to get her involved in something. Just let her be feral. Why not? So she, we were camping and she hit uh, one of the boys there. Like he told her, he said something to her. He's great with her. And she like hauled off and like whacked him. And I was like, hey, we don't do that. And she started, so like I could see she's starting to realize things like that because she started sobbing. She's like, I said kid's name. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I hit you. I'm like, okay, at least we're apologizing. But you also can't hit people for no reason. Yeah, that's and then she, I can say for my littlest one, because she would just be like, you deserve that and stare at you. She bit her brother today, too, when she was pretending <laughs> to be a monster. And she instantly was like, <gasps> I'm so sorry. She also thinks she can instantly just say sorry. I don't know where she is that from, but she's instantly just like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Lily, I'm like, hey, put the stick down. And she just like keeps it up and she's like, I'm sorry. And she's like still waving the <laughs> stick around. No, that means put the stick down. I'm asking for forgiveness, not for permission, which honestly, that's the way to go. Just do it that way forever. I thought about how I broke my cardinal rules of parking lot safety yesterday because we I kept smelling she had spilled like ice cream milk stuff in her car seat and I was smelling it and then it also had this weird rattle like the way the latches were and it we swapped car seats in cars so I didn't realize how obnoxious this rattle was it's like consistently was hearing it and I was in my head I said I have to get rid of this thing and the target has their 20% off not sponsored but their 20% off trade-in event right now so I was in Fort Wayne. I was like, you know what? It's a big target. I bet they have some good choices. They didn't because everyone else had the same idea I did. So I walk into Target, put her car seat in the bin and think, I'm just going to get one while I'm here. And then I'll just install it in the car because I'm a very good car seat installer. But then I realized how vulnerable I made myself as I had my daughter in the van and I'm installing a car seat. So then I kept my, <laughs> I have like these big log metal scissors like in the van for whatever reason. And I just kept my hand on them. I'm like, if someone comes up here, even if they're offering help, I'm stabbing them in the neck. Just why didn't you just like get in the van and lock the doors or something? It was too hot. Oh, okay. it was claustrophobic and I couldn't do it. I had to be able to like maneuver. I got you. But I was absolutely like my head was on a swivel. <laughs> like, and then I told my husband what I did. He said, that is stupid. Like that is a dumb idea. I'm like, yeah, you're telling me because once I got up to the bin, I realized I could have just scanned their code. I didn't even need to trade anything in. Oh, really? Yeah, they had like it. They've never Could they had just it, like, recycle them for you. 
Yeah, because they destroy them. You can't legally. You're not supposed to like sell cars. Yeah, because you don't know if like they've been in an accident or anything. Yeah, like that. but before, because I usually t- I don't like a gross car seat and my daughter is the grossest of all of the kids when it comes to car seats like I don't know what it is about her but she's gross and every every time I like need a car seat I always make sure it's like around this like trade-in event usually you have to turn the car seat in and they give you like a paper coupon mm-hmm. but not anymore like I walked up there and there was just like a, a a barcode that was like please scan here to activate your coupon and I was like what the hell I could have kept the car seat I have to trade this in <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Now I'm going to have to I'll have to check it out. I don't really need a car seat because we're good for now. But I, I just had to get one that because we're going to Florida in a couple months. And I was like, I are you driving? <laughs> oh, yeah. Ew. It's not too, honestly, it's not too bad of a drive because we're going. Well, I guess we're not going to Florida. We're going to Tybee Island. Um, and it's it's not a, it's not a bad drive. And we cut it into two drive like two days. Yeah, I'm not about it. Like, I can't do more than, like, a four- to six-hour road trip. I'm out. I'm like, no, I don't want to be in the car with people for that long because I'm always driving. I think I lived far away for so long, and I drove back and forth so many times. I don't think anything of it. Yeah. I don't mind driving in general. Like, I don't mind driving to see you. That's no big deal. I don't mind driving, like, an hour or two. But, like, if I'm traveling, I don't want to drive to there. We, I prefer to fly 100%, but with all of the kids, and honestly, when we first were planning this, they still had like the mask mandates on the plane. And I was like, my kids are not, I mean, the boys will, but like my daughter's not going to keep a mask on on the plane. And I'm not trying to end up on a TikTok video. (laughs) People are insane on planes right now. Have they always been this insane or is it just more like visible, do you think? We're more aware because we people watch more. Uh, yeah, I definitely do. But some I of these we... articles I see coming out where they're like physically attacking flight attendants, I'm like, who are you? I think, unfortunately, we live in a generation, like our time period, where we have a bunch of entitled dickheads <laughs> that think that everything revolves around them. And they are allowed to do whatever they want to whoever they want, especially if they feel like they are more important than the person that they are belittling. That's so weird to me. Like, it really is. And it's like, how did you get like that? (laughs) How did you come to that conclusion where you're like, this flight attendant isn't worth, you know, my suffer? Like, you know what I'm saying? That's, That's weird to me. I had to go to Walmart. Like on Saturday, get a cake just because it was like what was on the way. And I had, I was opening the van. I had like this, like the van door slides. And then I had the passenger side door open, just like getting all my shit together because I live in chaos. And this like elderly lady pulled in, but she had to wait to pull in before I like, so I could get like my kid out. And sometimes I'll open that second door just so someone doesn't park too close to me while I'm trying to get her out of her car seat just as me being a dick like give me some space I got a kid in here but she had to wait like maybe 30 seconds like it was a 30 second thing and the way she stared at me as she pulled into that made me like literally and I don't try to make I just looked at her like what are you gonna do lady like what are you doing what are you trying to accomplish because I will throw hands with your ass and I will kick your ass at the Walmart parking lot and then I realized this is why I don't 
don't come to Walmart because this, look what the behavior it's bringing out of me. <laughs> look, I fucks with Walmart and their cakes, but aliens shop there. Like if aliens were pretending to be human, that's where they go. Because every time I see people at Walmart, I'm like, <laughs> you are not a real person. You're pretending to be like, that's where the lizard people are for sure. My husband told me he like my basic bouginess is what he calls it. He's like, you know, I don't ever realize in too many conversations how pretentious you come off sometimes. But the look on your face that you mentioned even having to step into a Walmart. It's just like a uh. <laughs> I think but, it's just because I love Target so much. I just love That's fine. I'm serious. So the next time you go, like look at people and it's like the skin suit guy for men in black. Like, you know, the it's cockroach, true. that's what the everyone in there feels like. I'm like, you guys are all wearing skin suits right now. I panic every time I go because the checkout lines are, there's so many checkout stands and no <laughs> one's manning the lines. And then you're like all the way back into, I mean, the best, the worst, best worst thing is they really do have so many much good shit, but it's the whole environment that I can't get behind. <laughs> I've been at Walmart three separate times where a this fight has broken out and one of the times an employee was involved that was like, i oh yeah do this. that it's is like you said that's waffle house behavior it's on the same level yeah, it is that's fair that's fair. like do you see someone I'm, I'm sure there are but have you ever been in a target and had someone fist fight in front of you i wish i had honestly I would love to see uh, maybe like it could go down over pokemon cards or something but <laughs> I'm not sure that I have been privy to such wonderful things. And I like the yellow clearance tags at Target because sometimes I know it's not that great of a deal. But I'm like, ooh. Dude, I hate Target clearance. I feel like it tricks me because I like, I'm like, oh, cool. $14. And I look and I was like, this was only $16. <laughs> I don't this is care. a clearance. <laughs> I didn't even care. Although they have this new, like, they have these mom shorts I just got this weekend. And usually Target, some of like Target shorts, like the mom sizes are like, I'm like, oh, this fits true to size. But I got my size and I'm like, okay, I have maintained a weight. I have not gained any weight. I've made like, that's, I know that. And I cannot get these buttons. So like I went to the reviews instantly because of course it was them and not me. The reason why these shorts couldn't fit. And that's what all of the reviews said. They're like, I don't know what's happening. Like they're running like two, three, four sizes too small. And I was like, did we all get quarantine 20? Like, is that what's happening? Or are we all in denial? And I was like, nah, you changed something, Target. <laughs> Target, so rude. How dare you? Thanks for listening. You guys are awesome. We'll be back same time next week. Smell you later. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. 
follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we are gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.